The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, I've got Steve and Brett sitting here with me. Steve, how's everything going? Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. We're going to talk to you a little bit about some historic on stuff. Brett, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Sitting We're going to ignore in the hobby space, actually. Exactly. We're going to ignore you. We don't want to know about your hobby space. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't want to know what you've done. Now, you, uh, we'll talk to you a little bit about some hobby space build out because I know you and I are in hobby space hell. But most important of all, we've got a new guy. We've got to welcome Casey to the Lead Pursuit podcast. Casey, why don't you hop on and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, first off, thank you so much. Sit for down, here. shut up. <laughs> nobody cares. Long All right, time no. listener. <laughs> long time listener, love the podcast. Yeah. Long walks on the beach. Uh. No, I'm super excited. Like I said, thank you. Uh, it's my, I guess it'll be my first time on here. So, yeah. Yeah, this will be good. So, uh, have started stacking the deck again. Uh, so we'll, hopefully we'll have, uh, enough people with sarcastic and terrible attitudes, uh, to keep the hate and discontent that is lead pursuit going. So anyway, let's jump right in tonight. Cause we're going to talk a little bit about conventions that have gone on in the last couple of weeks. We're going to talk about some new things we've seen coming from warlord and just kind of getting ready to wrap up yet another year. So schedule, I'm not even going to talk about because I, I don't know what we're doing next year. I hear there's some conventions, whatever. My convention schedule's over for the year. <laughs> Let's go right into the Intel update. So we've seen a lot of stuff coming out. And I know I'm probably the biggest cynic whenever I get a release schedule. And if you saw the Grognard Gazette a couple of weeks ago, you know what a cynic I am. Making fun of Paul Sawyer finding the Warlord release schedule up his nose. Uh, but <laughs> the reality is there's some stuff that's on the release list we haven't heard about in a while. So P38s. TBMs, uh, KI-45 is supposed to be out there as well, although we've only seen kind of one little picture of it and seen a couple of them uh, on hand from uh, from John Russell when we were down at uh, Siege of Vicksburg. Um, but I don't know. Steve, did you get any hint from the from the Warlord guys up at Historicon what might be coming and when? I, I did not. I was... I was kind of overwhelmed by the, you know, the big box in the room, but nothing, nothing new stuff. Just what you were talking about with John Russell down in Mississippi. Yeah. Casey, while, while you were busy stealing things right out from John Russell's nose at uh, Millennium Con, did you get any, uh, any word on those? Hey, look, there's a statute of limitations in Texas. Okay. It's been two weeks, so yeah, <laughs> you can exactly. never know. You can't charge me. <laughs> um, no, the only thing, you know, if you think about it, those of us who have the, luckily enough to have the Midway box, it has the picture of the P38 box and oh, there's one other picture in there of a new box coming. But no, I don't think, uh, I think we were just so busy and there were, God, it was such a well-attended con. We'll go into that later that I didn't even have a chance to ask John. What are you? What good are you? Why do you think I brought you to this podcast oh, besides to get information out of Warlord? I no. wasn't in military intelligence. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. So we know there's those items are somewhere out there, and that's what's supposed to be next. Um, there's probably also some aces for the Japanese bombers, the U.S. bombers. 
some more stuff's going to come out I hear the mighty buffalo ken nat's favorite airplane which oh by the way if you haven't sent him a photo of a buffalo every wednesday is buffalo wednesday in the ready room so make sure you send him a photo of a buffalo uh, but those aircraft are supposed to come out and then the uh, much vaunted much maligned uh, much hyped Still never released Italians, so we know there's a lot of stuff that's supposed to be coming down the road here. Hopefully, we'll see it in a reasonable amount of time. I'm sure knowing how the system works and me being cynical, Epic Napoleonics and their stupid blue pants, red pants, silver epaulets, I I don't know and I don't care, that's obviously going to steal some from us. Whatever. (laughs) You and your little plastic Napoleon figures can go do whatever. Uh, But... Those things should be coming. So hopefully we'll get some word after the first of the year. And as we move into the uh, the first couple of events, maybe Adepticon in March, we'll start seeing at least some more information. Because in case everyone has forgotten, there's a big rumor out there that the next bundle, instead of the Catalina, is going to be the H8K. But what the heck do you bundle when you got all these other mysterious airplanes all to themselves? So I think there's a lot for us to kind of keep our eyes uh, on Warlord and on their newsletter and see what's going to be released up next. Um, but that's all I've really seen coming out besides a ton of stuff from Plane Printer, ton of stuff from uh, getting ready to release from Rockworks, if we can ever drag some large airplanes out of him, uh, and things can move on. And there'll even be some Lead Pursuit airplanes possibly coming out here, but we'll talk more about that in a later episode. Um, but there should be uh, some cool things that you can pick up uh, this holiday season to uh, satiate the gamer in your life. Now, Anyone else see anything cool that's coming out anytime soon or has just come out that they want to talk about? Or have I stolen the show with Warlord's vaporware? <laughs> Is this limited just to tiny airplanes? Because I, I did stray again last weekend. <sighs> do, do we have to talk about your sordid history now or can I wait till later? I don't want we to know what wait. else you we can bought. Wait. We can wait. All right, all right. We'll talk here in a second. When, when you can you know, bear your soul for the sins of transgression against aviation. That's all right. Um, okay, so what's everyone working on? Uh, I alluded to it earlier. Brett and I are in hobby room hell. Uh, it's, it's actually a good hell to be in because now stuff is somewhat unpacked, even though I've already run out of shelf space. Uh, for me, the great thing is finally having paint racks on the wall and having a place for a painting table, which means I have my horrible three base coats and three color minimums on uh, some things that I've painted. Um, but uh, it's at least nice being able to break that out, get some games that are out and, and get them on a table. I uh, haven't necessarily played anything, but at least it's been a good hobby space. Brett, I know you've been going through the hell of unpacking, then repacking to paint. And unpacking again, uh, uh, is uh, is the hobby space getting closer to completion? Yeah, I'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Mo- virtually all of my little honeydews for the new house are complete. So the last uh, starting last week, I was able to pretty much most nights get like an hour of hobby time dedicated what? towards is unpacking this, stuff is, in my room. Is this the old Brett we're going to get back to where he's going to yeah. outpaint us by painting every night until two in the morning? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. No, that's, that's good to hear. I literally, um, I actually have some... Pots of paint out of boxes. Nice. So it's getting there. Well, I was happy because I unpacked mine into two shelf units that, yes, I'm uh, one of those people who's furthering the destruction of the known world because I'm buying from Amazon, uh, but they were the right price and they fit the style of the room up here. I've, I've put all my paints up and then true to form, I'm like, you know what? 
I think I need to buy another set of paints. You know, and, and we'll talk about it here in a second under under uh, new things we're trying. I'm like, I, I need some more paints because really, you know, you can never have enough. Big, yeah, you never have enough, and and you, you always find some excuse about, hey, that's a, that's a new airbrush only uh, composition. I want to try that. Yeah, I, I'm an idiot. So, and, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Do you have a good light in your hobby room? Did I have some good lights? Because I had five, six, sorry, six can lights put in. Uh, on two circuits. So one of them sits over my hobby desk. So if I like wanted to dim the rest of the room and just have the hobby desk, I have two big uh, LED cans that are right above the desk. I do have a secondary hobby light being an old dude because it has a magnifier. (laughs) (laughs) So let me be honest, the last miniature I was painting uh, last week didn't have the magnifier out because it's still in storage and I was missing it like a mofo. Uh, and so I was sitting there going, I can't see anything even my reading glasses. I'm too fucking old to paint. Um, that's not the case. Just break out your your uh, magnifier. But yeah, I have one of those ring light magnifiers. Dude, we have, we have to talk about this. So oh, I've God, heard do, we have, about do we have the, to go back to this old guy routine again? No, I've heard about the reading glasses thing. So I have been painting for the first time forever. I painted like a dozen zeros this last week. And I noticed that when I'm just wearing my contacts trying to get like that super focus to do the canopies when really tough. I actually had to pull the contacts out and just go straight to the glasses. So I think I'm getting to that point where I'm going to have to go to the, you know, the reading glasses see, with the see, contacts. That's embarrassing that because you already have contacts because you're blind as a bat. And I, on the other hand, they won't give me glasses because they don't make them small enough to actually fix my 0.05 distance vision or whatever it is. But yet, when you move something within 12 inches of my nose, I can't read it, see it, paint it. Whatever. Yeah, it's the first time <laughs> first time I ever noticed that, that I had that, like, you know, kind of like close range focus issue. You're washed up. <laughs> Better get you the walker. Brett's just not even laughing at us anymore. Brett doesn't find us humorous. Plus three for the win, boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Brett, what have, what have you, I know we had this discussion a while back, a couple episodes ago, uh, probably like five or six episodes ago about, about glasses. But now that you've read done your hobby space what have you changed with lighting and uh and magnifiers and stuff like that yeah so i just stick with the reading glasses and i'm pretty sure they're like the most powerful reading glasses you can get but i got them from my from my uh eye doctor when i was you know getting a checkup or whatever i told her what i was doing and she said man we can get you some reading anyway so she did some tests with the little machine the little you know typical eye thing and uh, she's like, yeah, we'll do this. And so I think they're just really powerful reading glasses. And I just keep them. They're just cheap frames, the cheapest frames I could get. And I keep them right right here on the hobby desk. And so when I really need to see what the hell I'm doing, like, you know, faces and stuff yeah. on, on 28 millimeter miniatures is probably a good example. I'll pop those on. and it Faces aren't it hard. Fun. I mean, you just put like a white dot and a black dot and then you have yeah. your staring goofy eyes. <laughs> yeah, that, That's helped me. I, I find that to be... Uh, way more useful than any kind of like I have a I have a light but I never use it it's actually over my spray booth now I have a one of those uh kind of work lights that has the um the magnifier sort of in right. the shade of the the lamp itself and and I never use that magnifier it's just too cumbersome but the, the oh, Matt the, it's, it was key for me but that's all right <laughs> yeah well, so so let's not dwell too much on hobby space because you and I both have, have said we're going to really go through and break down for everybody a lot of the changes and a lot of the cool things uh, in a separate episode and with some video and some photos uh, to walk people through the, this is going to sound like home and garden television, uh, the design decisions and the things that we, that we chose to do when we went from our old hobby spaces in our previous houses to our new ones where at least I think both you and I at least won out a little bit 
uh, in in the the kind of space that we needed. So, so like D- Doug and Joanna Gaines. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be Doug and Brett uh, Gaines. You know, it's going to be farmhouse everywhere, farmhouse hobby. Uh, yeah, it's going to be disturbing. Uh, all right, so let's talk about a couple other things. I, I was talking about paint. Uh, I did want to give a shout out to Army Painter. If you like Army Painter, uh, go try the new Airbrush series. I'm about to pick up a couple of those paints and try them because um, I, I realize there's some longtime listeners that make fun of us for using Army Painter and Vallejo and think the only thing we should paint with is Mr. Paint. Uh, we don't care. Thank you very much. We use what we want. Uh, but literally, I'm going to go try some of that to see how the new composition is, see how that shoots through an airbrush uh, because a couple of their colors just are exact matches to old Citadel colors that I use. So I'm an old guy. I want to try those. Um, but speaking of paints, those guys at Blue Falcon, wonder what they're up to. Steve, <laughs> what's Blue Falcon Hobbies doing about paint? Man, you know what? Well, we, we basically sold out of our original uh, U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps three-color set. So we're going to rebottle some of those. May add uh, an early war blue like you would find on the stuff in the Midway set. And uh, I have a bunch of yaks to paint for somebody. So I believe our next set is actually going to be some kind of three- or four-color Russian themed set green dirt and snow wait that's only three colors (laughs) well i know casey used uh your navy set uh on some of the stuff that he did casey what'd you think of uh the blue falcon thankfully he didn't give you falcon blue which is never (laughs) blue but (laughs) so yeah i actually if so all the pictures of any wildcats and uh, dauntlesses you see that i've posted either from um my own page or you know lead pursuit whoever those were all, all those planes were painted using the Blue Falcon. And what's actually pretty cool is I tried them. I'm a paint whore. I have to have every paint. Like, no matter what color, I need nine shades of intermediate blue. So all I did was I put the Blue Falcon paints in my airbrush, and I have a, just a Badger airbrush, but I mean, that thing will feed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if you crank the air pressure high enough. I put them in there, and I had zero problems with them. They didn't dry out like my AK paints. So I was impressed, but also just as a test, what I did was I primed a plain black and then I just used a sponge and did the sponge method because I know some people don't have airbrushes or don't like messing with them. So I recommend to listeners who get these paints is just get some sponge and you can sponge them on and it looks really good too. And it almost gets some natural weathering if you do a real dark primer coat. Yeah. Did you change anything other than the primer uh, on those? Because the cool thing that I've noticed is that with the Blue Falcon paints, Um, the way the consistency is obviously there's a lot of ways you can induce some variation if you want to be creative. Uh, and so I've seen a lot of guys do different things with, with different undercoats and stuff to kind of, kind of force the blue Falcon colors one way or the other. Yeah, I would, um, insignia white is one of the colors that blue Falcon puts in there. So I would drop it into some. And so for like one set of planes, I would have like two drops of white to five drops blue. And then I'd kind of mix it up. Cause as you know, every plane on the flight line looks different and it really came no, out well. No, they don't. They're always <laughs> yeah. perfectly painted. I don't know what photos you've been looking at from Guadalcanal. Yeah. <laughs> and I did the same with the Japanese planes. So we'll go into this later, but I painted almost 35 planes for this event. We'll talk about in a little while all with blue Falcon paints and I had zero problems with them nice yeah i have not tried uh the japanese ones i may do that here shortly doing uh you know my own starter set things and then uh, some of the bombers and stuff and that we've talked about trying to do it in not the hollywood white but figure out what the right tea stain color is um but get it in there in a in a lighter color so uh 
that obviously those would work well on the latest Warlord sets, the Hellcats, uh, Oscars out there, as well as obviously what's in your starter set and the Bombers. So lots of stuff you can play with and try out there. And then once again, you know, we've said this probably a million times in the podcast. Um, I am not super um, uh, paint specific. Find a paint that you like. Find a paint that does what you want, whether you're airbrushing uh, or putting it on via regular brush. Find the, the paint that conforms to what you need and then tweak it. Realize that nothing out of the bottle is going to look exactly right between either a 170 second scale airplane and one 200. The contrast is always going to change. So play with it, make a test model, uh, take it all the way to completion and then realize, oh crap, I probably needed to change something uh, and lighten or darken it as required. Uh, not that I'd know because I still haven't painted any airplanes yet getting my hobby space set up. But other stuff got painted besides damn airplanes. So I'm Chris is always a big advocate of doing the one plane first and doing it from start to finish before you paint anything else. That's a good lesson because, uh, you know, I've made mistakes. That's my excuse. That's why I have a lot of single airplane <laughs> paint schemes painted. <laughs> I've got, oh, God, I already did one. I don't want to do another one. How boring. All right. So uh, besides Blue Falcon, obviously bringing some new stuff out. Uh, lead pursuit. We've done a couple new things. We've now got a sale going on with the cheaper uh, plane printer bombers. So if you you know went out and bought a box of Warlord bombers, realized that the whole three plus three wasn't so much working for you. Um, you can augment your forces with the plane printer bombers, and it's like twenty four bucks. So it's like dirt cheap. Basically, the guy who does all my three D printing, he is chained to the printer, uh, being fed Big Macs and Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> right, Casey? Uh, <laughs> no more. <laughs> exactly. Until he churns out enough Japanese and USN bombers. Now, um, the, the, those miniatures worked out really well. And Casey will talk about them here for, for using them at Millennium Con and some other places. Uh, they're great fillers for your force. Obviously, they're different than the Warlord. You don't get all the Warlord cards and stuff with them. Um, but they're a great filler when you say, you know what? I just happen to need a few more bombers, which, Brett, sounds like a problem you always have. I need a few more 109s. I don't have every 109 That's right. Yet. You don't stop until you have them all, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, what else uh, does anyone want to talk about? Um, that they've picked up and played with lately in the way of paints, tools, miniatures, etc. Yeah, so one thing, I know we're all fans of the Flory Wash. And so Ammo by MIG, who's actually one of my favorite brands right now, is they've come out with their own type of, I don't know. It's just an acrylic wash, basically. Like, I'm used to using an animal. But it's kind of clay-based. Is that the clay-based? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it works pretty well. Like, I swear by the Flory Wash, but I tried this once on a plane so far, and I've had good results. Did you try it on a plane, or were you on a plane when you tried it, or did you? <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> English language. English, Sorry. motherfucker. <laughs> Learn it. <laughs> All right, so let's stop talking about paints because we could spend all day talking paints and that'd be another episode about paints again. Uh, let's talk about what we've been up to. So we, we alluded to it at the beginning. Guys have been able to go to a lot of conventions, a lot of events recently. Hopefully you're either in a part of the United States that you can get to those that things are still not canceled uh, or you're in a country where the restrictions are starting to open up, and so people are, are getting a chance to get together. Uh, I realize that as we record this, a lot of places in Europe are starting to lock down. Um, so understand how things are going, but uh, we've at least tried to get a little bit of a breather uh, here and go out to some events. Uh, Casey got to go to Millennium Con, obviously there in Austin, Texas. Uh, horrible town and place that I will obviously <laughs> never visit. Um, but uh, 
but that sounded like it was a great time. Warlord was down there with John Russell, uh, supporting and doing a lot of cool stuff. And simultaneously, uh, the same weekend, Steve was up at Historicon, uh, hanging out with all the grognards up there, um, counting buttons and epaulets and things on Napoleonic figures and naval ships and other stuff. Uh, but uh, they were both great events, and we're going to talk about both of them and kind of share what you guys saw and experienced. So first, let's kick it over to Casey, since we want to put the new guy on the spot and, you know, kind of call him out that he did run a, a demo multi-part game for Blood Red Skies. So, so we're happy about that. Uh, he was there as people were buying, quote, midway boxes in droves. I'm, I'm not sure you can call a pack of 10 boxes over a weekend droves, but we'll, we'll give that to John Russell. Um, and, uh, and a lot of things were going on, not just Blood Red Skies, but a lot of cool gaming was going on there at Millennium Con. But before we get to that, I, I have to ask, Rob, our longtime Check Your Six friend, did I see a photo of him buying a box of Blood Red Skies midway? You absolutely did. Is, is that really did. true? Did you see a smile on his face playing and he Blood was Red smiling. Skies? You absolutely did. I did, you know? So I, I just want to gloat for a moment that we got him back again playing Blood Red Skies before I played Check Your Six. So that Victory to mine. That's all right. Now, Rob, we're obviously happy that uh, that you were playing, that you had a good time there. Um, and so we'll continue to give him max crap. But obviously the guys from Fights On, where they're hosting a game uh, with the Anything But a One podcast. Oh, and, and it was amazing there. looking too. Yeah, so th- there was a lot of cool stuff going on. I regret I didn't make it there. Obviously I had some other plans for the Monday afterwards. Uh, so I was not there uh, at Millennium Con. Um, but tell us a little bit about your multi-round midway game because it wasn't like the standard you know steve and doug fire hose kind of demo game you actually had almost a, a scenario campaign flow to it all yeah so what it was was i don't know i've always ran bolt action events and i'm kind of taking a break from it and enjoy doing them you know it's always been fun so i was like well let me try blood red sky since my whole group here loves it i love it obviously that's why i'm here but so i went ahead and picked some scenarios from the book and I wanted, you know, some players to see what kind of room we can get. I was hoping for about 14 to 16 players. And we were going to do a narrative thematic event. They basically, like, the first round would be dogfight. Second round would be carrier strike. And, you know, you and I talked about this. We went back and forth. But uh, due to just time constraints and room, I ended up getting 12 players, which pretty much could have gone more, but we had some cancellations last minute. And we did a multi-round. Well, you don't get off that easy. So, so you were on tap. To have 20 players and to beat my record. Now, yes. you just said, I could have had more easily. So, in other words, you didn't beat me, but you're acting like it would have been easy. So, <laughs> I mean, look, I was about to say, well, they didn't, they changed our rooms last minute. I could have had, and I'm, Blood Red Skies is actually super popular around now. Um, could have, could have, would have, should have. Facebook me. group. You'll see lots of pictures. Um, the Houston guys love it, Dallas guys. You know, it's the hotness right now. Anyway, so. We ended up doing, uh, we had two people cancel last minute, kid got sick, hey, with a kid, I totally understand. So, 10 players, and we were going to do three rounds, and it, first round would be dogfight, second round, and third rounds would be carrier strike, but it'll be alternating. Americans going after Japanese carrier, and then vice versa. But, here's just... Uh, <laughs> and, and then it went awry. <laughs> yeah, so this is for future But, but hold on, wait, wait. So, so I'll, I'll have to say that, as the outsider, I, I sat back and I'm like, wow. You know, Casey's got a strong plan. He's got got a, a flow to how it, it's going to happen. But part of me always sits back and I'm like, 
oh crap, what's going to happen with time or players or um, the the one rules lawyer you've got? You know, there's always something that will derail your best laid plan. What was it that pulled the rug out from under you? Oh, well, here's the problem was, and this is nothing. I know a lot of players listen to the cast and stuff. This is nothing against them. We talked about yeah, this. This is not a spear because this is, I have the same exact problem every time I do a large demo or even a tournament. I mean, I have people show up to tournaments with this same problem. So I put in the, whenever you could sign up for the event, it says experience necessary. You need to know how to play. I was able to get all the players' email addresses. I sent out two different emails. Hey, just so you know, you just need to bring some dice, but you need to at least have a basic understanding of how to play. And I sent a second email when that uh, really good uh, mini wargaming video came out. I was like, hey, here's this. Make sure you know how to play. Send me information if you don't know. I know people in all these cities. Like, I'll make sure you get a demo. And when we got there, six of the ten players had never even touched the game. <laughs> the way it's always going to be. And and I laugh because, in a sense, that's a good problem to have. Because I think people aren't intimidated by the game. And they, even if they may not have played it, they at least have a, a passing grasp that it's a fairly straightforward and fairly simple game. Maybe they're dumb enough to actually listen to us and realize that we say that all the time. Uh, but I think that's one of the good things is that this is the kind of game you can do that. You can have people show up and go, no, actually, I have no idea how to play this. And you just kind of <sighs> sigh, a little, oh, sigh a little bit. And then you go into the in-brief and it works. Yeah. And it's, and it's not hard. Oh, spoiler alert. I'll skip ahead a little bit. But within, I'd say, 15 minutes, like I didn't need to hover over these tables. And I cannot think enough. I think they listened to Ken, uh, Kevin and Jim. I both had an experienced player at each table. We ended up uh, two players just wanted to watch since they weren't uncomfortable playing yet. So we had really eight players playing. But, uh, you know, so I had at least one experienced player at each table, and these guys just kind of led them through, and I kind of overwatched, and it just flowed perfect. And it's a real testament to the game how after maybe five, six minutes of me hovering over them, they got it. I didn't need to do anything. Yeah, and Steve's seen me do it in a in a big demo game. The nice thing with Blood Red Skies and the way it plays is you can skip a lot of the situations of what can happen and just wait until it happens. And then you go, okay, now this is where someone is outmaneuvering you and they are lower pilot skills. So you get to roll, you know, things like that, uh, that, that I think are, are, are pretty easy. If you've got an experienced player there, they can keep things rolling. And especially here's the other thing, guys, uh, you know, Steve and I talked about it at, at Siege of Vicksburg is the Blood Red Skies community generally has such a, a low ego walking in the door that people just want to play in a competitive environment or in a narrative environment or just want to play the game. And even when we've had people walk into a tournament, yes, a tournament with zero <laughs> time having played the game, people are willing to go, all right, I'll take my first round against him and I'll actually help him. And then guess what? You're on your own your second and third rounds. Uh, Did so you guys catch uh, that post that Ken put in the ready room about the why don't you play in a tournaments and read some oh, of those yeah. answers. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of those answers of like, people have dice with pictures on both sides and all that stuff. And all I could think was, if you showed up at a Blood Red Skies tournament and did that, you would get made fun of for wanting to win at Blood Red Skies so you bad. You might that, get like, lucky enough that, that, that we actually might have physical violence against you and you might get a beat down. That's if you're lucky. <laughs> Odds are we're probably just going to laugh at you and just go, dude, go buy a round at the bar and go away you know yeah it's i think and this is is not me trying to be overly dramatic but i think blood red skies in the community is at a point now that really 
it's at a fork in the road and it needs to understand, does it want to build the kind of community where everybody can be competitive, but they're still cool about it at the end of the day? Or are people going to be hyper competitive and, and super douchey and, and try to dick the other guy over instead of playing, hey, the guys and gals around the table are here to have fun. And some of them may beat the absolute snot out of you, Steve Toth, uh, <laughs> at NashCon <laughs> with Don Gilmore's wife, Rhonda, just beating the pants off everybody. Um, but if, if that's the kind of community that we have that we can lose gracefully and have fun about it and go, yeah, I lost fair and square and she beat the crap out of me, then, then that's great. I, I think that's the kind of community we want. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, it was a real testament within five minutes, you know, any rules questions. I had the new Midway rule book right there at the new Midway set opened. Uh, we maybe had just a couple questions. Anything I needed, it was right there in the rule book. So there was no like, oh man, uh, does anyone have any chamber cell phone number I can call him? Yeah. Or, you know, I wasn't calling you like in the middle, like, hey, uh, I'm not confused about Actually, this. Actually, wait, wait, well, you did. You texted me in the middle. You didn't oh, call yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, there was one thing. There, there was like one rules question. I can't even remember what it was, but it, it was, was so uh, funny. I'm like, ground attack. But to be fair, like, not a lot of people play, I don't think, the ground attack yeah. or carrier strike. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's right. That's what it was. It was just so funny. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I, the freaking phone your friend? for apparently we're the duty experts what did we know yeah we have no idea what we're doing but uh, well went, cool so how yeah how, how did overall uh, end up because i know you made some changes um, yeah but, we made but a little bit of changes go? but like i said it was um the first round was dogfight just zeros against um wildcats and just the zeros obliterated the wildcats and i don't really think it's a fair pool how to say because you know there's one experienced player on each side kind of coaching everybody but everybody had fun. That's the thing, and that's what we were just talking about. What I look for is I look for smiles, laughing, joking, and stuff like that. There was no one hovering, sweating over the table, just getting upset. No one was about to flip a magic table. So, you know, these guys, they just had so much fun doing it. And it really kind of eased my tense. Because I was pretty tense about, uh, what? None of these people have ever played before? Like, did they not get my email? So it worked out really well. Um, you know, they played dogfight, and but in the middle of dogfight, it was funny. We had to pause because I showed off the new Midway box set. So everybody, we had to take a break real quick. Everybody had to go down and John oh, Russell nice work, nice work. You had to totally sets. distract everybody. <laughs> yes, and that's when Rob got his. So I think John sold a six right there. So I felt bad when people came that day asking for him. Dear Lord, I better get a fucking Christmas card this year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I mean, I don't know how many orders he took too for him. I'm sure quite That's a bit. Cool. And thanks, John, for all your help, by the way. Um, so, yeah, then we switched over to um, each table. One table did American Strike and the Japanese Carrier, vice versa. Um, it was interesting. The one table, these guys, they weren't trying to game it, but they were curious. They were trying to drop their Dauntlesses straight into a dive right off the bat to try to make it to the Carrier by turn two before the Japanese side zeros could get there. And I think that's what I had texted you about. And I'm not good at math. The yeah, measurements yeah. <laughs> looked okay. <laughs> that that was a funny moment because that was one of those math in public kind of things that, uh, to be fair, Andy changed the scenario for a couple reasons. And one of them is to make things faster. Um, and it, it the game plays super fast because all of a sudden on turn two, at the latest turn three, the dive bombers are able to make an attack. Uh, with yeah. a small board if you're playing on a three by three. So there's there's some things that are changed from what we're used to in airstrike. And I know for you, you're like, ah, wait a minute. Oh my God, how are they suddenly attacking the carrier? I'm like, yeah. uh, math in public, dude. Math for Marines. Take off your boots if you need to count. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Um, so they ended up, I think they missed, the Dauntlesses missed the Japanese carrier, all their bombs. And then we had the one in a million, the vowels, 
dropped theirs. They hit it, I think, once, but Aval actually strafed the carrier, rolled all the crits needed, and got a hit. Yeah, when when you posted that, I that started a whole tirade on on our chat about strafing rules and strafing versus ships and 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 yeah, I think I went off the deep end at that point. Um, but that's that's a discussion we've always had since Airstrike came out. Is how do you how do you model these targets for something small like a game of Blood Red Skies where you only got six bombers and you're just trying to trying to show that you're doing that critical final strike to sink the ship. Um, but I think we also kind of in the game, it, it hit me then, we, we further some of the myths about carriers and the myths like, cause, cause carriers being volatile, that's actually a myth that actually isn't how it works. When you look at like American carriers, especially you look at, uh, I was looking at the battle of, of Santa Cruz, the, the, the Santa Cruz Straits battle, they had three different dive bombers basically do kamikaze attacks, for lack of a better term, even though they weren't truly kamikazes at that point, and crash into the carrier and, you know, knocked a hole in the deck, killed 50 people, destroyed some aircraft, but that wasn't what sunk the ship. You know, all of those were were huge critical hits, but the carrier didn't go up in flames and sink. Um, so I think I think it's interesting that at least some of the, the traits for targets in Blood Red Skies kind of furthers this myth of the one mysterious American bomb going all the way through and hitting every fuel line in a Japanese carrier. But I'll get off my soapbox. That's that's the Silver Waterfall episode. Should you should you care? Go listen to the Silver Waterfall episode. Yeah. Well, and you know, like you said, best laid plans. We were going to do three rounds, but by then we had a... Uh, and this is a testament to the game, the part I like, especially coming from Bolt Action, where it got really competitive, is we spent so much time... Kind of just around the table, talking, laughing, people talking about the different planes, you know, what they play and stuff. When I looked down, I was we only had like 30 minutes left, and there was no way we'd get a third round in. So we went it up. We just settled for everybody got to play two rounds. Um, some great prizes. Uh, thank you, Warlord. Thank you, Lee Pursuit. Thank you. Who else did it? Um, oh, Geek Villain. Thank you so much for that. Awesome. We just awesome. It was I. Everybody had a lot of fun. They got a lot of stuff. Speaking of Geek Villain, we ran the new Midway map that Warlord has that has Midway on it, and everybody loved it. That's a cool mat. I think I've posted some pictures. I'll post some more. But if you get a chance, try to get your hands on that. Yeah, that one uh, seems pretty cool. Uh, and I guess the one you had was the cloth version that was the double sided, so yeah. it had the like the European fields on one side and and Midway on the other. Okay, yeah, those are those seem pretty cool. Well, awesome. Well, you know, glad that uh, you had a chance to run the event, you know, and to get out there and to, you know, see the Midway box set get released. We're super appreciative that you did the unboxing for us. Um, and that was totally a target of opportunity as all of that stuff showed up for Millennium Con. Uh, thank you to John Russell for going to bat for us and and uh, giving us the ability to do unboxings there and to show everybody what they what uh, the, the Midway kit was going to look like because things were just starting to ship. People were getting antsy. Uh, I still laugh because those boxes showed up at your house before either my pre-order shipped or my trade order is late pursuit shipped. So uh, that was John Russell doing some magic there. So thank you, John, for letting us do the video unboxing. And Casey, thanks for doing that. Yes, huge. Thank you. So that was that was really good to get to see that and to you know get to see all the little little resin and uh, and otherwise pieces uh, there on the camera. Okay, anything else to talk Millennium Con? Um, really just, uh, closing in that, like I said, it was a lot of fun. It was the first time running Blood Red Skies for me. I did have, you know, a few questions, but I do feel more comfortable with it now. 
but as a tournament organizer or TO, whatever you want to say, um, what made GM, what made me happy was afterwards I was uh, in the Warlord booth talking to John, some other guys, is we'd have people come by and be like, hey, what was that game? Where's it at? Like, where's it on the table? Like, we saw people playing. It looked fun. And, you know, it kind of makes you feel good. Like, they saw all these people laughing, having a good time, where you're going to go up to these other ones and these people are sweating over tables. But they saw these people having a good time, and they're like, hey, I want that. Like, that's what I want. Yeah, that wasn't like 40K. These people look like they're having fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> um, but overall, like I said, uh, Millennium Con was great. If you can ever make it, it's probably the biggest uh, historical convention here in Texas. Um, it's every Veterans Day weekend in Austin, Round Rock specifically. Uh we had, I mean, just a record-breaking turnout. Everybody was ready to come game. Tons of games, all sorts of games you could ever think of. Uh, it was so great to meet Rob. He ran some amazing-looking games. Um, I had this really big itch with Naval Warfare, which I won't go into right now. But after watching well, Don't him, worry. Somebody uh, else is going to fess up to selling his soul and becoming a dirty slut and going <laughs> and playing Naval War games. So, But, well, yeah, it was th- a thanks. good time. I, I appreciate you giving us some of the info on that. So let's... Let's uh, jump over and talk to Steve, because speaking of naval war game sluts, uh, Steve, you went to Historicon, which, as I put it in the show notes, is in somewhere Pennsylvania. I I, I don't know. It's, it's all the Arctic just Circle. Outside, <laughs> just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Actually, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. You might have heard of this guy. I think his name was George Washington. Never heard of you him. <laughs> so, yeah, right out. Valley Forge Casino Resort is where the event was. Ooh, fancy. Uh, and the theme was... Aerial wargaming this year, so I mean, of course, Lead Pursuit had a huge, uh, you know, booth, and we were all about oh, yeah, aerial wargaming. Absolutely, yeah, we're awesome. hosting games. <laughs> oh wait, oh, we're idiots. In case you wondered, we we're the worst aerial wargaming podcast ever, but we're the only one. So, suck it up, you're stuck with us. <laughs> but uh, it was cool. So it was. I went by myself, so uh, I had no schedule, no, you know, really nothing tying me down. So I just kind of wandered a little bit. Uh, so I played a couple things just and how they relate to Blood Red Skies. I first thing I did in the morning, I signed up for a Ploesti raid game. It was a hex based air combat game. And basically Now was that the same guys that we saw at Nashcon? Were those the same ones running it again or did it wasn't it look the same? Okay, it was different. It wasn't. This was a different game. Is it was based on the blue skies rules. And basically it was line up a whole bunch of bombers on the edge of the board, move five hexes, they roll a shitload of flak dice, you roll a couple dice, and rinse and repeat. And I know like there's appeal to those games, but to me, like I like a game like Blood Red Skies where you can kind of actually do some maneuvering and more more of a strategy to it than just at the mercy of the dice so that that one wasn't too good uh i also played an air racing game that i thought was really cool and you know that might potentially get made into kind of like a box set that you can buy through blue falcon it's really cool super simple the guy designed it himself really cool and the one thing i've always kind of looked for having kids is for miniatures games that you can kind of get younger like 10 12 13 year old kids to kind of play and this is a i think this would be just a great intro to miniatures gaming just the way the planes move it's really intuitive and a super fun game also played some aerodrome 3.0 and gotta tell you super awesome game you and i saw that at nashcon right yeah with the wooden dashboards Yep. yep Uh, I think Scott Atchison actually played a demo game of the World War II version. Uh, not only was it a cool game, uh, 
the guy who wrote the game and invented the game, I believe his name is Stanley Kubiak. Uh, World War One, World War Two, and a Korean version of it. I played the Korean War version of it. Uh, super fun, super awesome guy, and the way he runs his events, just incredibly awesome way he runs his events. He basically keeps a persistent list of every single demo they've ever done of aerodrome games at any yeah, convention. That, that was cracking me up when you were giving me the Nuts. rundown. That there's so there was, people on the leaderboard that have played a yeah, hundred some odd kills. There was like a that. lady at uh Historicon that actually got her in the World War One version, actually got her one hundredth kill playing aerodrome which is nuts right and then they had like you know you saw people wearing you know like fake blue max medals and all these kinds of different so it was just very awesome really want to have them on the podcast uh just great event if you ever have a chance to play an aerodrome game at at a convention anywhere uh you have to do it just super fun and the game looks super intimidating but when you actually sit down and play it, you're like, man, this is really easy. So it was just really, uh, it was really, really fun. And then uh, I had a chance to meet Mitch from, uh, what is it, No Dice, No Glory. And got to try out a game called Oak and Iron, which I think a couple of you guys actually have already, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, correct? yeah Brett and Chris uh, should both have that starter set somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think Chris even has more than just a starter set, unless he. Oh yeah, that's right. He, he no, he. Son. Yeah, he went in uh, pretty big on that, as I recall. Yeah, he might have got more than just a basic starter set, but yes, I have an unopened starter set behind me on a shelf. Shame, shame, <laughs> dude. So basically, it is the Blood Red Skies version of ship battle so of like pirate ships blood red skies of pirate ships i guess is what you would call it super easy to pick up has that kind of card play mechanic in it uh yeah super fun the guy who uh wrote the game and the uh, firelock games guy uh super great guy he was there got a great demo uh again just kind of a one of those games that's fun to play everybody was kind of laughing having a good time uh if you're into into pirate ship type thing, you know, maybe got a little Jack Sparrow in you waiting to come out. Get, give Oak and Iron a look. Pretty I like fun. their uh, World War One game, Blood and Valor. I'm tempted by it. Yeah, yeah, that's the one of their other. Uh, they've got a couple different things that uh, that are all kind of sort of tied together, similar systems. Right, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about Oak and Iron. All I heard Steve say was rum and sodomy. Yeah, pretty much, you know, because that's what Winston Churchill, first sea lord, said. Uh, <laughs> but that's all right. No worries, Steve. We I'm laughing. You. I'm laughing because I don't know what other response to have to that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, I, I walked into that and I'll just own that one. So, yeah. Well, you know, along with the whole selling your soul and playing other games and being dirty and hanging out with Mitch, who we don't publicly acknowledge that we actually like the guy. Um, apparently, you you put your your burning heretic hands on the holy box of midway and and you had to recant yeah you, you had to admit your sins in your in your video in your in your wake up america video uh tell us about uh you know kind of getting called out uh by the guys and and having to having to fess up that there's a midway box people could buy yeah i mean you know it is it is what it is right so 
I was, I guess I was a little on the pessimistic side. I really didn't have to be that pessimistic. I mean, when we made the bet, it was a long way out to Black Friday. Uh, but yeah, it exists. And truthfully, I would say, like, you know, like I kind of said in that video, right? I think things are really uh, looking on the positive side of Blood Red Skies. I think it's really kind of going in a good direction. I think we got this kind of like a uh, little bit of rejuvenation kind of injected into it here. And hopefully uh, we can kind of ride that out and, and keep that snowball growing a little bit oh, yeah. as this moves on. Absolutely. Well, well, the other thing I'll tell people, and it's kind of funny because I think people assumed lead pursuit was on some secret mailing and shipping list with warlord games and in fact we figured we were going to be the last people to get our stuff uh, because of the way we speak about warlord games but the there's been some differences in when stores put in pre-orders and when individuals put in pre-orders and so i thought it was super funny that my personal pre-order that i bought straight from the warlord store uh, yes, at full price, so you can call me a moron, whatever. I, it was an experiment. Uh, I did my pre-order, and that showed up to my house before my trade bundle that I put in the day they announced, hey, you retail stores can order uh, Midway box sets and Balmer's boxes and all this stuff, and, and we'll get it shipped to you. Now, that being said, so much of of what I've heard out there is angst about the availability of the warlord set is quote, my store can't get it or my store has put in and, and doesn't know when they're going to, when it's going to get shipped. So let me short circuit the process and the guys in the U S trade side can hate my guts really don't care because I'll buy you beers. Um, but if, if you have put in a pre-order via your FLGS and they, and you don't know where that pre-order is, i.e. they don't have a shipping indication yet, uh, or it's not sitting in that store waiting for you to pick up, talk to John Russell uh, and let him know, and more importantly, probably put him in contact with your store so that they can trace that chain of the order. Uh, because at the end of the day, sometimes stores got reprioritized based on the, the number of, of things they ordered. Obviously, big trade bundles are going to get prioritized first because they're a big box full of Midway Miniatures goodness. Um, but but nonetheless, these orders should be going out and getting fulfilled by now. We shouldn't have uh, stores that are saying, hey, I can't get my Midway box sets or my Balmer boxes for another month. That that shouldn't be the case. So if that is the case at your FLGS, please either have them get in contact with John Russell uh, or you get in contact and put them in contact together. Um, and Warlord will straighten that out. Because I'll tell you, Warlord was super cool with how they treated Lead Pursuit, super cool with what they shipped us. Um, and we've tried to turn around and get stuff back out and get it shipped to everybody that ordered um, and, and get that stuff in their hands. Because once again, we we didn't expect that there would be two different shipping timelines between pre-orders and stuff like that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so it means the bet's done, right? So so you're coughing up a lot of foam, like, like yeah, 500 more planes worth of I foam, a bunch of little foam. I, I concede it, it's done. I'll, I'll consider released. I know it's not really out there yet but i think in just the spirit <laughs> of the bet right enough people have it the game is released it's yeah out. I, I think playing it, it i think it matches kind of the yeah. kind of the, in, the intent of what we said because we did say if somebody pulled the trigger today they could get it before black friday and quite fairly i ordered it when they said the pre-order was done 
So as soon as Warlord said pre-order is complete, I put in my web store order and I got it a day or two after true pre-order people. So um, yeah, I feel good about it. I don't. I feel. I don't feel like it's even really a technicality. I feel good about it. So I will. Uh, John probably, Russell, you owe us some pizza for this. Oh, wait. If you find me like passed out, breathing in, you know, read my obituary because I f- sucked in too many <laughs> foam fumes off of my laser. You know, it is what it is. Well, so and and this is the funny thing talking about pre-orders. Brett, you pre-ordered. Did you order just a midway box? Or did you order a bundle? Yeah, I just got the midway box in a like one of those add-ons for the shipping offset. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So that's the interesting thing. So, so you're saying that yours is still yours still hasn't shipped. You haven't seen your pre-order yet. Yeah, it hasn't arrived. In fact, I think uh, late last week I looked, I, I went to the email confirmation, and you hey, could track your order, and it showed it was somewhere still in the UK with some kind of message that indicated there was some kind of like transit delay or some, you know some, some kind of <laughs> yours is on a container that's floating through the south china sea yeah, because it yeah. fell off a ship it, and i haven't paid real close attention so i didn't know if like you know i, I was on some you know different tier of priority or whatever I, not well I, I wonder if it is if, if it was because you bought just the box set not a bundle because once right. again full disclosure i'm a dumbass spent a lot of money at full retail value with warlord um and i ordered a full bundle so i wonder if they if that was a priority of theirs to get the bundles out, then get the individual orders out. Um, who knows? Um, but yeah, that, that's actually a good data point because you put yours in before I did. And so that's, uh, that, that tells me there's some tiering of the orders. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I placed mine like the day. And Casey's being a jerk in the chat, just so everybody knows Casey's like, Oh, I'm already bored. I've had this forever. Who wants this? Does anyone want my Just box set? In case you're curious, your <laughs> spouse jerk. will not understand how cool it is to have this early. Trust me, I've told her multiple times. <laughs> oh, you're a dork. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, once again, if you're having problems with your order, uh, please contact John Russell. Because John Russell is now the face of Warlord USA. So, it's all his problem now. Um, and if you're in the UK, then I can't help you. Call Warlord Director. Go visit their store. <laughs> Stand in front of Max and uh, Marcus and those guys and yell at them. Okay, so uh, anything else for Historicon? There, Steve. Any any other? Uh, I would to share? recommend the event. It was a lot of fun. There was a ton of stuff going on. Uh, actually, I had a, a friend of mine. He wasn't doing anything. I was like, "Hey, if you're not doing anything, it's only about a forty minute drive. Stop down." So I had a friend who had never seen any war games before. Kind of hop in and give me He's this. Like, who like, are these dorks? The, oh my God. Like the, the whole like, what the fuck did I just walk into? Type of thing, you know. <laughs> Uh, no, man, so that it's was cool, cool. It's cool. But yeah, uh, it was a good event. I would I would recommend it if you're in the Northeast. Uh, and also, I want to add this in there. I did see Nelson from Mythic Studios, Mythic Americas. Awesome. awesome yep. And it sounds like in the somewhere in the Northeast, New Jersey-ish area, uh, we will be having a Blood Red Skies event. I would say in the next six to eight weeks. So if you're in the Northeast of PA, uh, keep your ears open for that. Or northeast awesome. of the United States, keep your ears open for that. Awesome. Well, that'd be that will be good to know. So, kind of segueing from there, the next big thing, at least on all of our schedules, uh, is Adepticon 2022. Now, before everybody you know has a nerd rage moment and and everybody gives me their opinions of, of Adepticon and the last couple of years of flails, uh, we're going. We're going to support Warlord. We're also going to do our own thing. We're going to go play a lot of Blood Red Skies. 
Um, but if you have even the slightest inkling to go up to Chicago and freeze your ass off, I mean, go to Chicago and play some war games uh, and do some cool hobby stuff, 23 to 27 March 2022 is when Adepticon is slated to go. Now, we've talked about it previously. It's split into two separate venues now. There's kind of a fantasy sci-fi venue and a stinky historical people's venue. I mean, there's a historical gaming <laughs> venue. Uh, that'll be a different hotel. Um, but there's a there's a shuttle and a lot of infrastructure and things planned to, to make it seamlessly transition between the two. Uh, we're going to go... The plan is to play Blood Red Skies on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I know a couple of us are kind of staying through and then flying out on Monday morning. Uh, so we're there for the long haul. There will be a tournament. Um, all those requests went in today. Uh, and it sounds like we're slated for a Saturday tournament. I'll see what time block we get pushed into. Uh, once again, the Center of Pound Gorilla in the historical room is bolt action. So they will push us into to probably sitting opposite of bolt action or, or slightly opposite of bolt action. Um, but we'll see. I have to we'll say, see. if like there's anybody on the fence about going, I've been, I don't know how many times you've been, but like I was afraid it would just be like a 40K event because that's what I thought it was. But when I went, I was overwhelmed how many other vendors from historicals to all sorts of stuff was there, like a battlefront with Flames of War had an awesome, like a huge, huge, like sale front. They had all sorts of games going on. There's so much, there's stuff for every gamer, no matter what you're there for. Adepticon is how three randos found Blood Red Skies. Oh, it's all oh. Brett's fault. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I put it this way, because this is kind of what scares me about this year is every time I went to Adepticon, I had fun because I wasn't with the historical guys. Now I'm going to be stuck with historical guys. So don't don't be the historical equivalent of stinky 40k guys and ruin my Adepticon, you grognards. Um, so so we'll see. Uh, this one could be a little interesting, but I I think here's here's the big thing. We're all going to go, all four of us. Um, we're going to have a good time. We're there to play games, hang out, drink beer, uh, do all the things that you do at a big convention like that, and not get super stressed about the events, the timing, the venues, all those kind of things. Because um, people are still reacting to the pandemic and everything else, it's going to happen. We'll just we'll just deal with it uh, as we can. Yeah, I'll tell you straight away. You're not even going to see me. I'm all in on Oak and Iron. I actually just uh, I went out to the Humane Society and adopted a fucking parrot today. So I'm going to have him on my shoulder walking <laughs> around playing some pirate ship games. It's going to be a good time. May I go back to rum, sodomy, and the lash, <laughs> naval tradition? Okay, sorry. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> we're going to lose Steve from the podcast. He'll be out on the Oak and Iron podcast. Do they even have a podcast? Whatever. Nobody talks about ships. I guess I, I'll bring ships. my starter set. Sounds like a yeah, good time. exactly. Like, hey, guys, can I play? My still is shrink wrap. Uh, that's all right. Um, but the good news is we're all going to be there. We're going to spend some time, obviously, doing some demo games, doing some narrative games. Uh, yes, it will probably be midway focused again, mostly because I don't want to hear Brett about having to schlep his four by eight mat. <laughs> it is, uh, it is <laughs> exactly. Oh, we're not going to give. we never give away swag as lead pursuit. Oh, wait, it means I better <laughs> order some stuff from Mel in the UK. Um, but yeah, so, so we're going to have fun. So please, if you are planning on even just thinking about going to Adepticon, absolutely do it. It's going to be a good time. Um, there's always more games and stuff and vendors and crap than you can do uh so just go and kind of absorb the weekend anyway i'm off my soapbox we'll talk more about uh adepticon plans and things like that uh in the future all right so anything else anyone want to cover on conventions or events over the last couple weeks 
It's just been nice seeing all these people, just all the different gaming groups, like getting back into conventions. I feel like everybody's No, it's happy, not. Like... I was taking up solo gaming to stay away from all you people. <laughs> oh, sorry. <You've> <laughs> was supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> Dan, uh, DVG game stock has gone up. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. know how much. They're like the pandemic games. Like, look, nobody has to get together. Everyone keep, keep playing. Yeah. No, exactly. it's been so good just seeing like all these conventions happening. And it's funny because where they're norm- not normally on the same weekend, everybody's like trying to get them in before the end of the year. Because I think... Uh, Millennium Con weekend with Historicon, there was also like two other com- big conventions at the same weekend. Yeah, well, so and that that's kind of been the funny thing about the the pandemic schedule is people have moved their events. Events now overlap. Um, it's it's good to be in a place where the podcast can split up and go to two separate events, two opposite ends of the country. Um, but I I realize this is going to be one of the the problems next year as things open up is everyone's going to have this glut of gaming, want to try to hit as many events as they can. And then people are all going to have the feel bads because they didn't get to go to this event, that event, whatever, get over it. It's, it's going to happen. So just keep your schedule sane, go to the things you can go to. Don't overspend your money uh, so that you're not eating ramen noodles and peanut butter, Uh, (laughs) but have a great miniatures collection. Um, And, and things, things will, will, They'll start opening up, events will start happening, and, and FLGSs will be having a good time. So with that being said, uh, I am, I'm always one to just love to dive right into controversy. But here's a controversy I'm not going to take up. I'm going to turn it over to Brett and Steve, because there's been all kinds of interesting questions, discussions, things going on. Do you two want to make a public statement one way or the other about air medals and iron crosses? Well, people have been asking, like, where is this thing, right? Because we let slip some photos of our uh, some some final draft copies, which is you know pretty much our best effort to have a near complete, you know, pretty looking version of this thing. And uh, I think folks assumed that that meant it was something that was available for purchase or you know that kind of thing. And uh, there's not a whole lot we can say about it right now, except that 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 final draft has been reviewed by some smart people and it's been passed on to the the powers that be. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how long that process could take. I don't know what, uh, you know, revisions and things it could, could take. Uh, just know that it's in process and we're hopeful that it's well received and it's something that could eventually be, uh, you know, made available. So, you know, it, it could go lots of different ways. I, I think I can say with confidence that regardless of how it goes, at some at some level, even if it's just like, you know, the the basic, you know, draft version that we have so far, you know, being made available in some way as a PDF or something like that, as an interim thing, uh, that may be something, you know, if we're talking like months and months and months downrange before its final form is realized, you know, there may be some way to, you know, kind of fool around with it, almost like a beta or something. But uh, anyway, that's, that's about... I think the extent of what I can say with any real clarity, because I, you know, we're just kind of in a wait and see mode. Steve, do you want to take a shovel and keep digging? <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think the one thing that really needs to be addressed with it is that it is designed for blood red skies. Okay, so like that is a that is I don't want to call it a hang up, but that's kind of where we need to make sure it goes through the proper channels. This isn't something that's just kind of like. Uh, 
campaign rules for area wargaming, right? It is very much designed with Blood Red Skies in mind. Uh, references very specific things about the mechanics of Blood Red Skies and the card play of Blood Red Skies and the point system of planes and Blood Red Skies and the mission scenarios from Airstrike. So we wanted to bring something for the Blood Red Skies community and not just another generic system. So along with that comes a responsibility of the curators of the game uh, looking over it and making sure they're happy with it too. Yeah, I, I think there's just always a misunderstanding. And, you know, I grew up late 70s, early 80s in the, the heyday of Dungeons and Dragons, Traveler, all these things that always had the approved for use with stamp. That just isn't done in the gaming community anymore. It just doesn't exist. And so to get people back into that mindset to say, hey, can you approve this to be usable with your game system? You know, and, and let, let us take our own creative bent on things. Um, nobody does that anymore. It just doesn't happen. So we're asking a lot of the people that kind of um, hold the keys for Blood Red Skies uh, and those things. And, and hopefully they'll take a good view of it. We know that, uh, that Andy has already seen it. Um, and that, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some discussions about where can this go? Where can this go to be something the community wants and to drive uh, more Blood Red Skies gameplay because really that's why it was done was to put some structure to a lot of the games that we were already playing. So um, that's all I'll say. I'll stop digging. I don't need an excavator to dig my hole any deeper and I'm sure I'll be counseled by some people as soon as this podcast episode hits. But um, that's where we are on that. All right. So the there's some other pieces of controversy that have hit this week uh, that are probably best put off uh, for a week or so to the next episode when when uh, kind of people have calmed down, people have stopped throwing names around uh, between either the 40K community, the heresy community, some of the stuff that I've seen going on lately, but that touches historical gaming uh, in, a, in a real, real palatable way. Um, our, our issues that we need to talk about, we've just run out of time because we're not going to talk for hours uh, and hours. So once again, I want to thank uh, Brett, Steve. Thanks for getting back on the podcast. Casey, thanks for being the new guy. We're going to abuse you for the next couple episodes. So uh, just you know, go ahead and bring your flak vest. Hey. I, I hope you didn't turn it back in at the end of your, your yeah, whole time. I'm pretty sure the Marine Corps <laughs> let me keep it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so bring that. Uh, we're, you know, we really want to, uh, you know, encourage everybody to go out. Uh, like and review the podcast. I was laughing the other day as I was going back through social media, reading some of the comments about the podcast, and I'm sitting there laughing going, wow, some people actually apparently think we know what we're talking about. Um, so apparently we fooled some of you into a five-star rating. For the rest of you that know we're idiots, please, out of mercy, give us a five-star rating and say that we're the best lead, uh, best aerial warfare podcast on the interwebs, because I think we're the only aerial warfare podcast on the interwebs. Anyway, so... Uh, if you have questions, if you have things that you didn't understand in our discussions about hosting games, tournaments, whatever, please reach out to us. You can hit us on Facebook. You can hit us up on Instagram. Uh, you can also go straight to the website, leadpursuit.net. There's a contact form there that you can ask us your shameless question, uh, and we'll get you an answer, or we'll point you to somebody who will not make fun of you like we will, and will actually answer your question. But thank you all for listening. I uh, really appreciate it. We'll talk to you all sometime in the future. First, an announcement from our sponsors. Hold on. You guys know what that sound is? 
Cheetos? Uh, no, that's the ice pack going on my balls. <laughs> Fuck double hernia operations. Fucking terrible idea. How long are you out for? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm out anymore because uh, I'm actually mostly mobile at this point. But considering my nutsack looks like it went around with Mike Tyson, <laughs> you know, I'm like, Jesus, people, why didn't the doc brief me on this? Thank God I read the Internet. Go to WebMD. You'll probably die. Yeah, exactly. Then, then you won't be surprised. You'll go, oh, good. Everything's purple. Awesome. I was expecting that. I have a friend who, when they did his vasectomy, they infect. he got an infection oh. in his balls. Oh, yeah, that sound good. And everybody was always like, yo, vasectomies are super easy. Just get a vasectomy. You never have to worry about having kids again. It's like two or three days and you're good to go. And he got an infection in his nuts. Oh, oh no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>